Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. All right, so we're continuing the series today called Life Goals. We're actually completing this series today. We've been talking about just having general life goals. We talked about financial goals. Last week, we talked about relationship goals. And today, we're talking about family goals, uh, squad goals, life in the home. Now, I know that some of y'all don't have kids. How many of you do not have children? How many of you are not ever planning on having children? Anybody? Well, it, it, <laughs> yeah. So, you're like, heck no. And so... Um, I tell you, uh, kids are a blessing, but we need to have goals for our family. I'm going to talk a little bit about the home today, but 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 I want to encourage you, if you're here and you don't have kids, this is something you can put in your pocket for later. Come on. But it's also, I believe that there's some things today, some revelation that's going to come, and God's going to do some healing in some of you that have kind of come from a jacked up home, and I think the Lord wants to do some things there. So there's something for you today, um, and I always have a hard time preaching on stuff real specific like this because I want to hit everybody in the room, but I do believe today is going to connect with you. So today we're talking about family goals, and uh, you know, one of the themes of this series is that we need to have an intentional vision for our life. And we have, we need to have, listen, as parents, we need to have an, in, an intentional vision for our kids. Come on. How many know that, that you don't, a kid is not five years old and you just kind of say, well, just do whatever you want to do. You've got to have vision for him because you're the provider, right? You're the provision that God uses for them. So you got to provide the vision for them now So later, when they have a vision, it'll be a clear vision, and it'll be a good vision. So part of your provision for your kids is providing a good vision for their future. And so if you can shape them in the way that God put you in their life to do, then they'll have a good vision for their future. So we need to be intentional about that. And I want to caution you again, and we cautioned you last week when we talked about relationship goals. I want to caution you in the world that we live in, in the, in the, the Facebook world, in the Instagram world, in the reality. You know, there's nothing real about reality TV, just so you know. Those are the best moments. They've got makeup on. They're in a good mood. But we see that, and we're like, oh, man, if my family was just like a, Don't let them set your goals. You know, don't let sitcom set your goal where every issue, every problem gets solved in 30 minutes. Because because that's not the way life is. But you got to have a vision for your family. You know, one of the great themes in Scripture is this idea of heritage, right? You guys know all those Scriptures that seem useless when you read through them and you're going so-and-so, begat so-and-so, all these names you can't pronounce? I mean, if there's a ton of the Bible like that and you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah, and you're kind of thinking about lunch, so-and-so, begat so yeah. All right, Jesus and Jesus. All right, there we go. How many of you have done that before? Come on, let's just be real. But Scripture devotes a lot to heritage, and it seems all impractical to us because we don't get it. How many know that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? When we talk about that, we're talking about heritage. We're saying, this is where we came from. This is is what's led up to this point. And a lot of times we think my life is not really influenced by that thing, but really where you come from is often an indicator of where you're going. Isn't it? I mean, you think about the mentalities that are jacked up in your mind that you, that you grew up in for 18 to 20, 34 years. Just kidding. 18 to hopefully not 34 years. But for all your life as a kid, you, you grew up with these mentalities, good mentalities, good culture or bad culture. And I think we all have healthy things that were in our home, and we all have unhealthy things that were in our home. Come on. No matter how good your home is, there were some things that were probably pretty jacked up, some mindsets. And you carried on those things. You have to break those things. But how many know that there's a lot of great things that you probably learned in your childhood, and, and as an adult, you act and you respond and you do things according to the way they were done. And they're not necessarily bad because they're traditions. And I know, you know, I know when you're 24, it's like, I don't do things my way. And then, like, when you get, like, 35, and you're like, that's what my dad would do. And it was actually a good idea. And it took me like, you know, 20 years of being out of the house before I realized it was a good idea. It's called humility. Learn it early and you'll save yourself a lot of of problems and heartache. Listen, one of the things that, that really bugs me is, you know, I was a youth pastor for a lot of years and it always bothered me when parent, when, when the older generation, you know, which I fall into now, which is really weird. Um, 
the older generation talks negatively about the younger generation. Well, you know, this generation, they just don't have any work ethic. All these millennials, all these millenniums running around and having all these bad mindsets. They don't know how to have a relationship and blah, 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 blah. And just complaining, complaining, complaining. How many of you know that the older generation is responsible for the upcoming generation? So before you complain, first of all, do some confessing and some repenting to the younger generation. I'm sorry that I screwed up, that you had too much screen time and not enough face-to-face time, and I screwed you up and jacked you up, and you can't be relational. So we need to take, as an older generation, those of us in the room that are over 30, we need to take responsibility for the coming generation, not just point and complain. All you younger ones say amen. We're whining. Now check this out. This is an awesome scripture. Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5. Children are a gift from the Lord. Parents, let me remind you. Children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift. And, you know, it doesn't always feel like a gift when it's 2 o'clock in the morning and the baby's awake and it's got a poopy diaper. It doesn't feel like a gift. I know when they're talking back, it doesn't feel like a gift. We've got a back talker. Well, we have an amazing child that oftentimes talks back. But children are a gift from the Lord. It says this, that they are a reward from him. So you're, some of you are like, oh, it's not really kind of reward I want, right? Like 10th place, you know. For real, children are a reward. They're a gift. Listen, the moment that we stop viewing that way, they will become a burden. Some of you are miserable parents because you don't look at your kids as gifts. And they're going to have a miserable life because of it. Verse 4, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now, a quiver is a thing that you hold arrows in. Now, we have a pretty full quiver. Now, your quiver might not be as have the capacity of ours. Ours is overflowing. We have four kids which nowadays seems like a lot. I mean, my parents were like, they had like 10 kids or something. It was no problem. Um, for, you know, we're like, whoa. You know, um, you guys have probably heard the, the joke of the guy's like, well, what's it like having four kids? And he said, well, imagine you have, you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby, right? So that's pretty accurate. You know, four kids is pretty overwhelming. Leslie's like petitioning for more. And I'm like, no, no, we're good. Our quiver is full. But these kids are a gift. And when God gave you this gift, he didn't just give you a gift that you kind of go around and go, oh, it's a gift. He said that, no. He said, I don't only give you gifts. These gifts are arrows. These gifts are, are the tools of a warrior. And so God gave you your children, not just so you can protect them their whole life, so that, but so that you can pull back and rear back and launch them in to their destiny so that you can make an impact for the kingdom of God through your kids. So you can come back and shake hell through the lives of your children. Come on. They're, 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 they are weapons in our hands. Not weapons against us, but weapons for us, weapons for God. How many know as parents, we are the archers? It used to be a metal song. Remember that? It's like, we are the archers. It was like, that was awesome. And so I, I think about that sometimes. I'm like, yeah, that's me now. I'm like, look at my kids. I'm like, we are the archers. And so we're all like jamming. So you're like, what are you talking about? It's okay. It's culture. Um, the greatest gift that God can give a married couple are arrows. These arrows called children. Um, you know, Many times, parents want approval from their kids. They want to be liked. They, they draw, they, they use their children as a way to kind of live their dreams. They use their children to push themselves, not really letting their kids have their own identity, right? But really trying to form their kids in a way that they would like. Or I've seen this other mistake where parents will try to, their, their kids are their best friend. Now, you need to have healthy relationship, but you're not, you're the adult, in the relationship. And so when it gets hard, let me just remind you, you're an adult. I know adulting is hard and difficult, and you don't want to get out of bed, and you know you want to have your pumpkin spice latte and your yoga pants and your, your, your messy bun or whatever they call it. Yeah, sounds good. But, and that's cool if that's the way you do it, but you're the adult in the relationship. It is, parenting is difficult. All the parents, yeah. 
<laughs> your hair's all messed up. You're like, oh, no. I mean, you got here today. Praise God. That's a victory. Especially if you have four kids or one. Some of y'all are like, man, I can't imagine having any more. Yeah, I know. I'm right there with you. But our primary goal is not to be liked by our kids, but to launch our kids. So the Lord gave me this picture this week. I, I had these, these points, and the Lord just began to unfold. And I, and I really feel like that this is from the Lord. And so I was thinking about this idea of kids being arrows and parents being the archers. And I feel like the Lord showed me this. Do we have this graphic? And so this is, this is us. Now, this guy looks so awesome. Y'all see his cool belt buckle? It's like, that is the guy that I'm using. I, I searched for a long time for the perfect graphic, and that was it. The way the dude's dressed, and you know, his, his physique is kind of like mine, so I thought that kind of looks like me. Why y'all laughing? Okay, so, so there's there's three things, probably more, but three things that I notice whenever with an archer when he's about to launch an arrow. The first thing that he has is he has strength, but he has to use strength to pull the bow back. I know they got compound bows and all that kind of stuff. The next thing is tension. The tension that that is because of his strength, he pulls it back, and there's tension. Tension isn't fun, right? In fact, if you hold the tension too long, it gets a little shaky because it's tenacious. And then the last thing is aim. Before he launches an arrow into their legacy, he has to have strength. He has to have tension. He has to have a focus to launch these kids into their destiny. And so I'm going to take these three things. I'm going to talk about them. Uh, these are, it was crazy. These were all things that kind of came along after I'd already had these three words, which I really feel like are, uh, that, that go along with this. The first thing, our strength in the family is our culture. Everybody say culture. Now this, every home has its culture. Now when we talk about culture, we're not talking about American culture. We're not talking about, um, Anglo culture. We're not talking about Hispanic culture. Some of that might be in there. It's awesome. But every home has its own culture. Every home has its traditions, has its things that make it unique, right? It's got a culture. In fact, culture is what forms family. You know, the things that you think that are funny that nobody else thinks funny, and you tell people, and they're like, yeah. And you're like, nope. And they're like, or you, and, you, and people go, well, why don't you do that? Because that's part of your culture. That's part of your family. You have a unique culture. You might be a Christian culture, and you might be a Hispanic culture and do things like they, that you've done those things, and those things are great, and they're rich, and we want to tap into those things. But you also have your own culture in your family, and that is the strength that we use to launch our kids. And we hope that the culture that we form in our kids, they'll carry on, and they'll put into their kids like God did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We hope that we have a legacy like that. So as parents, we get to decide. If we came from a bad culture, we get to decide if we provide a good culture, an unhealthy culture or a healthy culture. Guess who gets to decide that? Not the misbehaving child. The parents. The parents get to decide the culture. And let me tell you this. Your kids want culture. They do. I grew up kind of, you know, lower income, and um, we had, I, I say kind of, we were definitely lower income. We never really saw ourselves as poor because we saw people that were poorer than us, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and, you know, spent a lot of time outside, and I had this best friend growing up. His name was Corky, and there there were five siblings, actually. One of them was, was out of the home, but there were they had four brothers, and a couple of them were, uh, like, mentally handicapped and just, you know, just a lot of drama. And uh, one of one of the the brothers, his name was Ben, and he was the the next younger brother, my best friend. And uh, he came to me one time, and he was so excited. And he said, he said, Josh, I have something exciting to tell you. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I was all like, what what is it? Like, are you getting something awesome? And he goes, we're getting a kitchen table for our house. And he looked at me, and he said, this I'll never forget it. He said, we're gonna eat together, family. And that moment impacted me so much. I still remember that. I had to be like 12 years old when I heard that. And I thought, here's a kid that longs to sit at a table. You know, they, were, they would sit around with bowls of cereal and sit in front of television eating lunch, you know, just sitting there. And he wanted a table. He wanted to have that place where everything else could shut down and he could just have family. What was he longing for? He was longing for the culture of a family. And that marked me so much. And... Uh, what is the environment of your home? This is the culture of your home. Is, is the culture of your home angry? 
Is it sarcastic? Is it racist? Oh, we're not racist. We joke a lot about other people, other people's race. Is it racist? Is it happy? Is the culture strict? Or is it balanced? Is it firm? Or is it soft? Some of those things, sometimes you need firm. Uh, sometimes you need strict. There's certain things as a parent you need to be strict about. There are certain things that we're like, we don't do that. We don't do that here. Why? It's part of the culture that we're providing. Um, is the culture fearful? I walked in yesterday. Uh, we, we were at the men's gathering, and I was just kind of in a quirky mood. I, I had these things that happened to me, and I just kind of kind of go weird. And some of you are like, isn't that all the time? Yeah, sometimes. And so I walked home, and, and uh, I was just kind of thinking about my kids. And I walked in, and I was like, all right, daddy's home. Daddy's home. Time to remind everybody who I am. I'm daddy. I'm going, all right, everybody line up. I'm going to give you spankings, you know. And I walked around and pretend to give the kids spankings. And they're laughing, and your eyes like, ah. Yeah, because we kind of have at our home, we kind of have a goofy culture. But I was kind of making fun a little bit of some cultures because some dads are really like that. They feel like that they need to come home and everybody needs to be reminded that daddy's home and he's the one in charge because he's so insecure. And so I was doing that kind of a playful way, but it got me thinking, you know, some dads are really like that. Some dads use fear as a way to control their kids. That's not healthy. Um, we, we try to really have a, a culture at our house about, uh, on grace. We have rules. We have standards. We have laws in the house. This is part of our culture. But we also flow in a spirit of grace. One day, uh, Judah was at school, and, uh, and we don't, we've never told him that. We, you know, we don't have it on our mission statement on our wall at our home. We don't have anything written like that. Uh, and then, you know, they don't, the kids don't know what, you know, we're not like, now we have a culture of grace. You know, we, we exemplify that. So Judah was at school one day, and you know how kids are. They make a mess out of the room, especially when they have way too many toys. And so Judah's room was a mess, and Leslie devoted a day to go in and clean his room. Remember this? And she, man, she, I'm, she like organized it. You know, there were probably like label makers and stuff involved. It was intense, you know, and it only took like 30 minutes to mess it all up. And so Judah comes in the door, walks in, puts his back backpack on the ground and he lays down on the floor and he goes this is grace and I was like that's exactly what it is it's grace that, that someone came in and did the work for him and I love that so much because here's my my child understands what grace is come on it's the way you celebrate the way that you celebrate birthdays right with your kids how do you do that that's the culture of your home the way that you do that. We have cultures at our home. We do, we do a thing whenever we watch like a family movie, like, like some animated movie that I hate. I hate animated movies. It's just not really a fan. I'm like, oh, gosh, really another one? You know, kind of grumpy, and I usually end up laughing and liking them if I will buy into it. And then at the end, you know, they always have like a song. Like, what's that one song that they do? Got everything. And so it, is that what's this? Is, what does this say? You don't have to try everything. No, it's the one that from uh, Zootopia. How's it go? Shakira or something. It's the, it's the llama or whatever. Oh, 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 oh. So anyway, anytime, you guys know how it is. They always play the theme song, and it's like upbeat at the end when the credits roll. So what we do at our house is when it's over and the music starts, everybody gets up, and everybody, we don't have to say, okay, children. It's like just automatically they know because we've done it so many times as part of our culture that we have a dancing culture. And so at our house, we dance a lot. It looks really bad. We'll never put it on Facebook Live. I forbid it. But we all dance around, and the reason is is because it's part of our culture. We like to have fun. We like to be goofy. Another part of our culture is every night we get our kids together and we pray. We get in the living room and I go, listen, guys, let's close our eyes and let's think about Jesus. Let's think about our blessings. Let's think about how good God is. And then we'll pray and we'll ask Jesus to bless them as they sleep. And then we do other things. Like if there's a need that we've heard about, we pray about that need because we want our kids to be to, to have prayer ingrained into their culture. You say, well, you're brainwashing your kids. Absolutely. Because they go to school 40 hours a week and get the world programming them. So absolutely I want to brainwash my kids. Okay? Culture. Let me wash that brain. Good old brainwashing. The washing of the word. All right. 
And let me remind you about this. We're talking about culture because culture is different than rules. And I'm going to talk about rules in a minute. But we're building families, not formulas. And I think many times we want something to avoid the process. We want a formula. We want, we want a list. Okay, if I do this, my kids will never do that. But how many of you know that it doesn't work that way? It just doesn't work that way. Every kid is different. Every family is different. And I, I really believe that in Scripture, you know, Scripture gives us some things about raising kids. And we're going to talk about a few of those things today. But it's not really an exhaustive list. I mean, there's a few things in there where we're like, man, that's really good. But it didn't really tell you, like, how to handle homework and how to handle chores. And so I believe part of the reason why God did that is because he didn't want us to have formulas. He wanted us to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and upon the heart of God that we would lead our families relationally, not through a list. Relationship is always greater than structure. Now, our family needs to be more strict. We need to be more, like, organized and, you know, sticky notes and, you know, label. We need that a little bit more. We're really bad at that, but we're really relational. And I think that my kids will probably remember our relationship more than they will remember the rules. And if I'm too hard on the rules, my kids will probably remember that, but not in a good way. And rules are there. We need structure. We need that. But the context of a relationship will empower them to fulfill the standard. You can't impose a standard and lead a heart. Hearts can, listen, because we're not trying to just make good behaving kids. We're trying, to, we're trying to provide an atmosphere for God to work on their heart, for them to have a pure heart that is only built in culture. You can't impose a standard and change a heart. This is why the old covenant was null and, is null and void. It, it was broken. It didn't work. Why? Because it taught behavior modification, not heart transformation. And so what happens, listen, as parents many times, and I know some really strict parents, they're really great, their intentions are right, but they think if I can teach my kids, if I can make rules and, and I can be real firm with them all the time, then they'll behave. They might behave, but their hearts will never be transformed. And their heart is more important than their activity. Because if I can get their heart, their activity will be good. Their activity will be good. If I can, if I can minister Listen, you've got to see yourself this way, parents. You are a minister of your kid's heart. And you're also an administer of rules. You need to have rules, and we need more in our home. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, we know. Formulas are based on process and cause us to abandon the process. Well, I want a list so I don't have to pray about it. I want a list so I don't have to have a conversation about it. I want a list. But listen. Abandon, if we abandon the process, we weaken the potential. If we abandon the process, we weaken the potential. So it's important for you to have standards, for you to have all those kind of things. But listen, don't look for an easy out. Read books, learn things, learn all that kind of stuff. Awesome, use it. But remember how Jesus was led by his father. He said, I do what I hear him say, remember? And what I see him doing. So Jesus emulated the Father. Jesus is the example. The Father is our example. So we need a Father like our Heavenly Father by showing them and by teaching them, by developing a healthy culture. Are you guys good? So it's important. Culture isn't built through rules. Understand, you need rules. Rules provide the atmosphere for culture to live in. You set boundaries, right? Come on. You want to protect her purity, dads. Come on. There are certain things you don't want your daughter wearing because you know the mind of your son towards other girls because you were a son once. Moms, you need to show your sons how to love well. Come on. We need that. We need standard. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So the first thing is culture. It's so important. I cannot explain to you how important. Develop traditions. These are things that your kids will remember. My kids, I love it. I love to look in the future and see in 20 years, I see my kids with their kids at the table going, what's your favorite part of the day? If you've been over to our house and you've had a meal, you know that that's part of our culture. We go, we pray, we get our food, and we go, favorite part of the day. And they go, well, my favorite part of the day is... And if they go, well, my not favorite part of the day is, we go, nope, that's not what we're talking about. We're going to your favorite part of the day. We're going to celebrate. 
And my kids, they're going to do that. And that wasn't a tradition we learned. That was just a tradition we started. So culture. There are things that our parents did that we do, and there's things that we add on to it. It's awesome. Man, how many of you are glad you, get, you are where you came from, even though there are some bad things that can help form you to who you are? The second thing is character. Now, normally when we think about raising children, we think about their character. That's the tension. How many of you know that forming character is tension? It's like, oh, this is a grueling process. This is part of the process. Right, what we were talking about a while ago. Uh, Proverbs 22.6, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Some of us have said, well, I've done that, and it didn't happen. Well, I don't know what happened, but I know in most cases, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he doesn't depart. Sometimes that seems broken, but we still stand on this, and we still use this as our model. So how should they go? How do we train our kids? How do we develop tension and character in their life? Well, the first thing is through education. Education is how to think. Now, listen, education sometimes is what to think. But if you can spend a lot of time on teaching your kid how to think, you won't have to spend so much time teaching them what to think. Are you guys with me? We need to, we need to create intellects in our home, kids that think about process. When my kids come to me and they say something they've heard of school, I'm like, okay, really? And I get them thinking about it, not just repeating it, because I want them to know how to think, not just what to think. There's things that they're going to learn that they need to know what to think. But I want them to understand process. Um, manners. You know, people, and this is kind of part of culture sometimes too. Like there's some houses you go to, you take your shoes off when you walk in the door. So if you go over to somebody's house and they do that, you take your shoes off. Why? Because you want to respect other people. So you teach them manners. Our kids, it's yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, sir. And they don't always do it. And we correct them. What? No. No. What? No. I, what? Oh, no. No, sir. No, no, sir. Yeah. It's usually not that intense. Usually when we're quiet, sometimes it's more intense. The goal is not to be so intense, but you know, you, you know how it is. Adulting, yeah. Um, responsibilities. You teach your kids responsibilities. Chores. We have a little, we just did this. We're really bad about this. We're really, really bad because we're, we really suck at the structures thing. So, um, but the chore thing is like, you know, give your kids responsibilities. I, I drew a little diagram with our kids the other day. We were sitting at the table. And I, and I drew a picture of a house, and I said, okay, guys, what's in our house? And they were like, oh, you know, and I started writing things on there like Wi-Fi and devices and food and all the things in the house. And so I drew the house, and then I, I said, well, underneath the house is mom and dad. And I said, this is us. We're holding the And you guys are in the house, and all the stuff's in the house, and we're responsible for everything in the house. And I was talking to Mariah and Judah. They're a little older. She's 11, and he's 9. And, and we're talking to them, and I said, you know what? I said, sometimes you've got to come down here and you've got to help carry and lift the house. This is teaching them responsibility. We got chores and, you know, little charts and things like that. And they usually change. Uh, we usually do them once and then it changes to something else like a year later. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but teach them responsibilities. Listen, don't always bail your kids out. Don't always finish their homework for them. You can do that sometimes. Sometimes you show them mercy. You show them what mercy is, but don't do that all the time because you're not teaching them responsibility. Well, I don't want them to fail. Actually, you do want them to fail. You do want your kids to fail because right now we have a culture of kids that don't know how to fail. They don't know how to lose because they've always been getting trophies even when they lose. And we tell them, you can do anything that you want. And they don't have the brain to be a rocket scientist, but that's what they want to do. So they're going to fail at life and you just set them up for greater failure because you didn't let them fail now. Let them fail. Don't always build them out. Teach them life skills. Teach them how to work. Come on. Teach them to get outside and do some lawn work. Right? Teach them to, you know, uh, Judah, he's, he's amazing. And sometimes he doesn't always have the best attitude about things. And so we had this, you know, like child shower at our house. And so they were carrying doppers out yesterday. I was like, all right, Judah, grab some doppers. <laughs> I don't want to. I didn't ask you if you want to. You carry the doppers. Right? I wasn't like, okay, well, son, if you don't want to, just go ahead. No, no, no. You need to teach them some sort of responsibility, some kind of life skills, and it's our job as parents to teach them that. Well, we're just going to let the world teach them. No, you don't want to let the world teach them because you want them to teach them from your culture. All right, I need to hurry. Uh, the third thing that we need to teach them is honor uh, in this, in, in educating them, educating them. 
teach them honor. We see this from parents all the time that will dishonor authority. Well, your teacher shouldn't do that. You know what you just taught them? You taught them to have a spirit of rebellion towards their teacher. Guess what? That's going to filter into the home. Don't police officers, um, governing officials, presidents. My kids, I mean, I'll just be real with you. Like, you know, there was, there's always things that we disagree with in politics. But when my kids come to me and they say, well, I don't like so-and-so, I'm like, you respect them. Whether it was President Obama or it was President Trump, I was like, listen, you, you refer to them as president because it's respectful, and we don't talk bad about them because we honor up. We honor up, we honor down, and we honor all around. We don't just do that overflow. We do this at home. Why? Because we want our kids to be honorable people. It doesn't matter who they're honoring. It matters what they are doing. And so they're going to honor people. They're going to honor police officers. They're going to honor people, uh, managers, when they go to work. They're going to respect those people. They're going to call them, if they have titles, they're going to call them by their titles. Why? Because we want them to be honorable people. So if they're going to be honorable people, then they're going to have to honor people, even when people are seemingly not honorable. Because we honor people's value, not their character. Okay? Um, and spiritual education, not just, you know, you, you need to educate your children on all these things. But one of the things that we, that we are losing in our culture is spiritual education. And so a lot of this happened, you know, um, you, know you look back 30, 40 years ago, um, even when I came into the church into the 90s, like people still had Sunday school. Uh, they were in church like four times a week, and that was with no special events. And now people are like in church like once every six weeks, most families. That's like, they're like, I'm a regular church attender. I'm in church every six weeks. Now, this is all new, like within the past, like, 20, 25 years. But look how our gener- the generations, and this is a real concern I have. Look at how the generations have degraded in the last 20 years. Look at morality. Come on. Look at conviction. Look at resolve in people's lives. I believe it's directly related to people's commitment to spiritual education. We don't, we don't have Sunday school. We have church one time a week. If we get people out to that, we're like, yes, that's awesome. But listen, beloved, that is not enough. Even if you're faithful every Sunday morning for 90 minutes on Sunday, that is not enough because they're going to go to school and they're going to get programmed for 40 hours a week. You need to send them to school. They need good education. They need to learn all that stuff. But listen, you're giving them 40 minutes of school, 8 to 12 hours in sports, and 90 minutes with Jesus, and you expect them to have good character and to exemplify godliness in the culture that we live in? Not going to happen. We've got to make, listen, not just church a priority in our families, in our homes, but we need to make Jesus a priority in our families, in our homes. So, you know, when Pastor Jen gives you these kid flow verses, I use that. You know, we're the pastors, but we still use what the kids pastor gives our kids. And every morning when I take my kids to school, now it's just Judah. But every morning we drive to school, he makes a little declaration. He says, he says, uh, today's going to be a good day. And then he says, I'm going to honor. I'm going to obey my teachers. I'm going to honor my, my parents. And then I'll pray for him. Father, I thank you, Lord, for Judah. I thank you, Lord, that he's going to school today. I pray, God, that you bless him. I pray that he'll be a good example for Jesus. I pray all this for him every single day. And then we, we quote, before all that, we quote the, the memory verse. And he memorizes that on the way to school. Then we're already in the car. He just memorizes on the way to school. I pray over him. We make his decoration. And today I declare, every, every day on the way to school, today I declare I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. Every day my son says that. What am I doing? I'm developing spiritual education in him. I'm not the perfect parent. I blow it all the, all the time. But this is something that my kid is going to learn and he's going to do, and I'm developing him spiritually. It is our job. It's not the church's job. We can help you. We can give you tools to do this. Memory verses or something like that. But it's not enough. Church can't replace the spiritual experiences in the home. Okay? But, but let me say this. I did youth ministry for a lot of years, so I understand this. When parents treat church like an option, kids will treat Jesus like an option. Even though you say, well, it's, it's really different. It, in their mind, especially in their young mind, even when they're teenagers, they think it's the same. If church isn't a priority, spiritual things are not a priority. School's more important. Sports are more important. Church is eh, if we can make it. That's why it's good for your kids. I'm I'm not fussing at you. I'm just saying I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the generation that we're raising where spiritual things and spiritual education is an option 
and everything else is more important than that. You understand our value system, okay? Please see my heart on that. Um, when I was 16 years old, I'm going to take a little time today because we're finishing the series. When I was 16 years old, I moved from a single home mom, had very little rules, be out most nights as late as I wanted to do, smoking dope, all that kind of stuff on the weekends. When I was 16 years old, my dad said, I want you to move in with me. I hope you get a car, all this kind of stuff. And one thing that he did is he said, if you're going to have a car, you're going to have a job. It's good. Amen? And so I got, because you're going to have to pay for that car. So I got it. He helped me, but I had to pay for certain things. He's teaching me responsibility. I was 16. I had really no structure. And then he said this. He said, you're going to go to church. Now, I wasn't, I went to church sometimes, but it was kind of like option. He said, you're going to go to church. You're going to go to church on Sunday morning. At that time, we had Sunday night service. You're going to go to church on Sunday nights. You're going to go to youth on Wednesdays. Now, I was 16. I was at the peak of rebellion in my life. And my dad said, this is what you're going to do. Guess what I did? I got saved because of it. My dad led me to Jesus by leading me to church. My dad had a profound, my dad was supposed to be here today. I was going to honor him in that. But he's had a profound impact on my life. Would not be where I am if my dad would not have enforced that on my life. He didn't go, well, I just leave him to his own spiritual journey. You're launching arrows. Where are you launching them? Um, so, again, take the kid flow verse. Use current events. Something happens, they hear something at school. Talk about it. Ask them questions. Um, teach them purity. Teach them faithfulness. Ask them. We start doing this thing at our, our prayer times at the house with the kids. We, we, we start going around the room. Okay, if Jesus was here, we were doing this, we've been doing this at our prayer time. If Jesus walked into the room, what would he say to Mariah? And so we had all the kids go around, and they would, they would just begin to encourage them. and say, this is what Jesus would say to you. What are we doing? We're nurturing a prophetic spirit in our kids. We're teaching them at an early age to prophesy, to tune into the heart of God, and to say what Jesus would say. Those are the kind of things that you need to be doing. Experiment. Think of just creative ways. Oh, that would be cool if you do that. It's just one little thing. It's just five minutes. Nurture those spiritual things in them and teach them faithfulness. Um, and on that, as I switch gears, clear expectations. Clear expectations of what you expect for your kids. My dad expected me, even though he couldn't transform my heart through all that stuff, he still expected me to act like a Christian, even when I wasn't. For two years. It took two years. It was a process, but he stayed to it. And there were some knockdown drag outs. I ain't going to lie. I mean, it got intense. But for two years, when I was 18 years old, I gave my life to the Lord. There would be no overflow church if my dad did not force me to go to church. I don't want to force my Yes, you do. You do. You do. Because you're launching arrows. When they're older, they can do what they want. But when they live in your house, you make the rules. You get to decide. You don't give them the option of not going to school. No, you don't feel like going to school. That's okay. Oh, you don't fit in there? Somebody makes fun of you? Oh, that's okay. Priorities. You're going to practice tonight, right? So, again, priorities. Uh, You get to decide what the rules are, not them. Um, And that leads us to number two, clear expectation and clear consequences. So we're talking about tension. Uh, let's talk about correction and discipline. I'm sorry, guys, this is taking so long today. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So what are kids to do? They're to obey you. When your kids disobey you, they're sinning. Don't let your kids sin. They sin right in front of you. You're going to be laid back about them sinning? Honor your father and mother. The first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. If you don't honor them, I'm, you know, as a parent, you don't honor me, I'm going to take you out. You won't have a long life. Okay, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't kill my children because they didn't honor me. Gosh, y'all are such a tough crowd. All right, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Oh, here comes that responsibility. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. Oh, that's a hard one. I've been guilty of that. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction. We talked about instruction. Now we're talking about discipline. It comes from the Lord. How many know that there's a difference between punishment and correction? We don't punish our kids for doing bad things. We correct them. Now, I'm playing with words a little bit there. But, but when you're disciplining your kids, you're correcting what they're doing is wrong. You're not punishing them because they're a terrible person. Are you guys with me on that? 
He who, uh, Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares the rod hates his son, that he who loves him is careful to discipline him. What does that mean? Does that mean you pull out a rod and bust your kid? Yes. Does that mean time out? Yes. Does that mean grounding? Yes. All of it. Do all of it. And some discipline is going to work better than others for certain kids. Some kids don't work with time out. You need to bust that butt. You just bust it. It's not abuse. It's called parenting. Sometimes you need to bust that butt. Sometimes you need to ground it. Because sometimes kids don't. You know, Mariah, who's 11, you just look at her like, and she's like, like conviction and crying, and it's like, awesome. We have another child in the house? Like, bust that butt, ground you. Like, it's, it's, yes, all of it, <laughs> right? Because every child is different. The two things, listen, the two things that are important when disciplining your children is, number one, consistency. Be consistent. And number two is control. And when I'm talking about control, I'm not talking about you controlling them. I'm talking about you controlling yourself. Because we get all... And we make discipline about us with our kids. They do something wrong. You're making me so angry. I'm so tired of this. You just made it about you. It's not about you. It's about them. And I do this. I tell you what, I'm so sick. No self-control. Some of you are like, dang, I'd hate for you to be my dad. Hard. Listen, discipline is not about us. Just because you're in charge does not mean you're in control. Oh, come on. Just because you're in charge doesn't mean you're in control. So you don't have to raise the volume to exercise your authority. You don't have to be mean to exercise your authority. In fact, you need to exercise grace even when you have to bust their butt or even when you have to ground them. You can still exercise grace. Grace, we're not talking about mercy. Mercy is letting them off the hook. Grace is, is the way that you do it. Grace is not the absence of discipline. It's the presence of tenderness. So grace is, listen, son. I'm pretty frustrated, and I'm going to have to bust your butt now. That's grace. I'm still correcting him, but I'm doing it with a tender spirit. Okay? Understand the difference. And number three, and sorry we're going so late today, but number three is our aim. We draw back with our culture. We hold the tension of correction, of discipline, right? Building their character, and then our aim, our focus. What is our focus on our kids? Our focus is their identity. It's who they are. Because you can raise them in the right culture, you can bring their discipline, but if they do not know who they are, we are not launching them well. Our aim and our focus is their identity, uh, guiding them in general godliness in the context of their individuality. That doesn't mean, well, that's the way they are. They're just going to talk back to their parents. No, that's not who they are. They're operating in the flesh. They're operating in the ungodly spirit, you're raising up children of God. Come on, especially if they've received Jesus, which you need to make sure that that happens. They surrender their life to Jesus. The problem, and I mentioned, uh, alluded to this earlier, a lot of times with parents, they try to live their life through their kids. Like me as a pastor, it'd be real easy for me to assume that God wants my kids to be pastors. They might, but I've also got to be be aware that God might have a different assignment for them. And I've got to be okay with that. And sometimes they might not, they might not might connect more with my dad because he's been in cells and that's what they're called to. They might connect with him where they don't connect with me because their identity is to be in cells. And I've got to be okay with that. Uh, there's a scripture in Genesis chapter 4. Let me just read it. Lamech married two women. The first was named Adah and the other was named Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabel, who was the first of those who raised livestock and live in tents. His brother, totally different, Jubal, was the first of all who played the harp and the flute. So one of them was a worker in the fields. The other one played and, and lived in tents. The other would played the harp and the flute. Lamech's other wife, I don't know what he was thinking, but he had another wife, Zillah, gave birth to a son named uh, Tubal-Cain. And he became an expert in forging tools, bronze, and iron. And so... They have all these siblings that did all these different things, and they had these different traits. Our tendency as parents is not to allow them to be who God created them to be, but for them to do what I've been doing. And, or the other, the other big mistake that I see with parents is they try to live like their high school experiences through their kids. Well, I wasn't popular in high school, so I want you to be popular. So you're going to have the nicest clothes even though we can't afford it. And boys are going to like you, so I'm going to let you dress that way. Come on. 
Now, we need to raise them in their godly identity. Again, their identity in the context of godliness. You guys with me? So the just, just the way they are never nullifies character and guidance. Um, we will spend, listen, most of, most of our job as raising kids is uncovering their identity. It's going, let's, 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 let's figure out who you are, right? Let's peel back the layers and speak to that. Listen, never, 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 never speak lies to your kids. Never call your kid a liar. Never call your kid a thief. Never call your kid a bad child. Never. We've, that's one thing that we've been very protective. We said, you making bad choices. That's a lot different than saying, you're a bad kid. You're a spoiled brat. You do not speak those things. You speak to their identity. You are a little man of God. Get over your kids. Lay your hands on them. Say, Father, I thank you for Judah Brown. I thank you that his name means the praise of God. I thank you, Lord, that the praise of God will be the declaration of his life. Begin to speak to their identity what God had called them to be. Don't just speak. Listen, don't speak of their behavior. Speak of what God designed for them. I, when, I, when, I, when I go to my kids, I say, you are a brown. Not a brown person. Skinned person. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but you are a brown. And you are a follower of Jesus. And speak to them. That's what's important with the names of your kids. You think about those names. Some of y'all have a name. You think about that name. Because that's something that you can bring in and you can, you can ring that and say, You're, that, I, want, I want Judah to know that every time someone says Judah, he thinks the praise of God. My God will be praised. Right? Whenever they, when they say Moriah, she goes, yes, my God is a good provider. My God is always with me. Whenever someone says Uriah, they, he goes, yes, the fire of God. I'm full of the fire of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? I, like, I, I want to nurture my kids in what I call them every time I speak to them. So you speak to your child. You speak to their identity. You speak of who they are. And I'm closing with this, this idea of shame. Because what we do sometimes as parents is we will use shame to manipulate our children. Whether it be what we, we could call adult name calling. You're such a bad child. Listen, you can say that's a wrong choice. You should have never done that. That's stealing. That's wrong. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not okay. It's not tolerable. It's not okay for you to honor me that way. Speak to that. But don't tell them you're an unhonorable child. That's using shame. You're speaking to a false identity that does not belong to them. Uh, nothing will squelch a child's identity like shame. Nothing will squelch their identity like shame. Shame on you. Shame off you. That's right. Guilt affects activity. Okay, we want our kids to feel guilty when they do something stupid. You want them to, because you want them to stop sinning. I want them to feel guilt, but I never want them to feel shame because guilt affects activity, but shame hides our identity. Shame goes, I don't want anybody to see who I am. And so when we speak negatively over our children, what happens is they go, I don't want anybody to see who I am, and they never fulfill their destiny. We always speak life. And we teach, listen, we teach openness and humility um, because nothing will smother shame like vulnerability. The thing that will get rid of shame in your life is being vulnerable. It's for you to go, I blew it, and telling somebody about it. Being real and honest, I tell you what, man, there's nothing more liberating than coming clean on your issues. Whenever you're no longer living in shame, living in hiding, and you're just vulnerable, <sighs> so liberating. Some of you guys know what that feels like. Listen, if we fail to build a culture of vulnerability of our home, if we come in as dads, if we come in and we're always prideful and we're always like, you're not going to talk to me that way and I'm the man of that. If you're always being assertive and always being hard with your kids and not teaching them vulnerability of grace, then we will force them to lie. We will force them because they can never measure up to your expectation. We force them to manipulate. The culture of grace, which we talked a little bit about that earlier, will increase the likelihood of them coming to us whenever they need us rather than hiding when they've sinned because if they come to you when they in brokenness and humility and you restore them softly and you're tender with them they will come to you when life gets really hard and whenever they're doing stupid things but if we provide an atmosphere of grace if we provide an atmosphere of vulnerability where they can be real and go dad I blew it my heart's so broken that I've made a mistake and they come to me and they know that they can find safety in me they will always come to me I told you guys before when I was 16 years old my dad made a lot of mistakes as a dad. He would tell you that. 
for me, I, I think my dad could do no wrong, but he would tell you I did a lot of things that I, I shouldn't do. It was very hard, very tenuous because, I mean, he was really, he was taming a wild stallion. And he would, I remember we would have these fights, these intense, you know, things. Who do you think, who do you think you are? All this kind of stuff. And I remember my dad would come in and he would sit at the foot of my bed and I'd be crying, you know, teenager. Oh, I don't have anything. My life's so miserable. My dad would sit down and he'd begin to cry and he'd say, son, I've never raised a teenager before. I don't know how to do it. I'm learning, but I love you and I want what's best for you. You know what? Those are the moments that I learned from. Through his vulnerability, not, not necessarily from his firmness, not necessarily from his hardness, but that he was humble enough and real enough to come in and say, I'm your dad and I'll blow it sometimes. And I, I, you know, I'm not a perfect dad and I make a lot of mistakes as a parent. I act out of anger. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes it, there's been seasons where that's been a pattern. And one night, this happened several months ago. We were watching a, a show on TV I'm just going to be real vulnerable with you right now. And I know we need to finish. But I was, uh, we were watching this show, this movie or show or something on TV. And there was a, a dad that like threw a fit. Like they were sitting at the table and he hit the table. Boom. And, and he like this, let this outburst, you know. And our, our kids, you know, they were like, oh. And Judah looks over and he goes, What's the big deal? Dad does that all the time. And I, mean, I just sit there watching this movie under the conviction of the Spirit. I was just like, man, God, even though I know he's dramatic and that's not really entirely true what he said, he sees me that way. And so the next night, I had him and Mariah come into the living room before we prayed. And I said, guys, I said, I got to tell you something. I said, when we were watching that movie the other day, and Judas saw that, and he said that Dad did that all the time. I said, I come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Mariah was like, oh, you know, like, oh my gosh. It's like the worst thing. And I was like, she was like, it's okay, Dad. I was like, it's not okay. I said, it's not okay that I act like that. And I want to apologize to you for being your dad and being reactive and for you thinking I'm that way. I'm not a perfect dad, and I make a lot of mistakes, and I want to ask you guys to forgive me. And they're like, they got, they're welling up, and I'm like crying, and they're like freaking out. But I can tell you what, one thing, there might be a lot of things that their dad should do differently and better. But there's one thing that I'm going to make sure that I do, that if I screw up, that I'm going to go to my kids, and I'm going to be real about it. And I'm going to be too prideful, because I know that one day they're going to get down the road, and they're going to be able to come to me, because they know that their dad loves them, even if their dad isn't perfect. And I want to encourage you parents in this. Don't live under the shame and the scrutiny of the devil that would come and tell you that you're a horrible parent because you've done some things wrong. But live under the constant conviction of the Holy Spirit to do things right and the tenderness of your Heavenly Father and watch your kids be raised in a godly environment.